Midnight in Karachi with Mahavish Murad on Tour.com. Joining me today is Charlie Jane Anders, novelist, short story writer and editor-in-chief of one of my favorite sites, io9.com. Charlie Jane has won a Hugo Award for her novelette Six Months, Three Days in 2010 and has been nominated for the Nebula and the Theodore Sturgeon Award. She has also previously won the Lambda Literary Award and the Emperor Norton Award. Her new novel is the fabulous All the Birds in the Sky, which I have to admit I enjoyed far, far more than, you know, um, well probably that I should have. I, I, I tweeted a lot about it as well. It's about a witch and a scientist, their relationship, trying to save the world and each other. It's really wonderful. Charlie Jane, welcome to Midnight in Karachi. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so, ex- I'm so excited to finally uh, speak to you, having fought Justin over this um, for months <laughs> and months, because we were both liking the book like way too much and, and, you know, having to argue about it. But tell me, where did the premise of All the Birds in the Sky come from? I almost want to say that, you know, at its heart, it's about two kids who are both outcasts in school, finding each other and realizing that despite all their differences, they have this huge connection. That's what the book ended up being about, for sure, was about sort of the thing of being an outcast in school and finding the only other outcast in, in your school and kind of bonding. And originally, you know, I had this idea of like, oh, it's a mad scientist and a witch. And I sort of thought of it more as like almost a story of like different genres being combined and different like um, kind of types of stories being smushed together and I was going to kind of play around with all the conventions of the fantasy story and the, the sort of mad science story and the kind of all the different things that come with fantasy and science fiction and you know it was only once I started to sort of think of it as a story about these characters and sort of get more into um, their relationship and how they interact and how their ways of looking at the world kind of inform them that it became more of an interesting book in, in my mind and the more more something that I really wanted to follow. So that was kind of a process, I guess. So what kind of um, crazy interesting parts did your research lead you? Was there anything really cool that you ended up not using in the book? I mean, it wasn't so much research as just sort of developing a lot of ideas. There were a ton of things that I threw into the book that it, at various times that uh, ended up not making it into the final version. Like at one point there were aliens, um, like, you know, Lawrence's story. Lawrence is, is the mad scientist in the story. And, you know, I was like, oh, he should encounter aliens and there should be like all this other stuff. And the aliens stayed in the book until pretty late in the process. They They actually got a lot of development before I had to cut them. Like I had a whole idea about how the alien culture worked and it was really interesting. And um, it was really, you know, that was super fun. But in the end, it just didn't actually uh, work in the in the book as I was writing it. It just felt like one thing too many. But there was a lot of other stuff. There was, a, you know, it, Lawrence created a lot of other gadgets. He created, he started, he was trying to build a giant robot in his bedroom, uh, but he only had room for like a finger of his giant robot and that was kind of a, a zany thing and there was there was just a ton of other stuff that was just kind of thrown in there and um, you know I did kind of come up with some really interesting stuff about the history of the world of magic which I had to cut because it just was going to overwhelm the rest of the book but there was a lot of stuff that was really interesting that just didn't make it in there so these backstories will we ever read them will they will they you know emerge from somewhere in the dark I'm posting some I'm posting some of that stuff on my uh, Tumblr 
which is allthebirdsinthesky.tumblr.com. I'm starting to post some deleted scenes, but also kind of the origin stories I came up with for some of the characters. And at some point, um, I'm going to post the other alternate ending of the book that I had originally created at one point, which it's more like the climax of the book, like the penultimate chapter that's different, but also a lot of stuff leading up to it. There's a whole extra subplot and a lot of other stuff that goes into that, um, including something about those aliens. And um, it it's a, a lot more complicated than what I ended up with. It was going to be, this book could have been much more kind of of a complex, uh, multi kind of layered story with a lot of subplots that all kind of come together in a surprising way in the end. And I think a lot of people might have really liked that version of it with all the different subplots and all of the extra stuff and it it would just it would have there I think it would have had to be a much, much longer book. And also I feel like having so many subplots and so many different ideas going on would have kind of overwhelmed the characters a little bit and would have caused them to just be, you know it would it, I think it would have just you would have lost that kind of tight focus on them as, as characters. And, and I think that would have been a mistake. Well, one of the things I really liked about it is that it's also really funny. Um, I think it still has a lot of, you know, multi-layers, as you were saying, and they all work really well. But I would really, really enjoy the humor in it. Lawrence builds his own two-second time machine, which is a concept that I found right. I found hilarious. And since this isn't any sort of spoiler to the plot, uh, we, we find this out fairly early on. It's it's not you know going to ruin anything for anyone who hasn't read the book. But I wanted to ask where this idea of this two-second time machine came from. A whole bunch of people, you know, in different parts uh, of the city have, have connected over their shared ability at independently having made a two-second time machine. Yeah, it's that was a really fun thing. I, I forget how I came up with that idea. I think I just... You know, I wanted him to invent something that was almost useless, not completely useless, but almost right. useless. And it was sort of a funny gadget that I could sort of believe that he could create at that age. And actually, to be fair, he finds stuff on the Internet about it. It's just really hard to figure out. He doesn't really invent it exactly. But it's, you know, I it was one of those things where, you know, sometimes you're just kind of staring at the paper or the blank screen and you're like, okay, what is what's the thing that, you know happens here and for some reason the two second time machine was just what stuck there was a bunch of other stuff that I tried but the two second time machine seemed kind of funnier on the face of it and more kind of just like you know if he built a real time machine then that would kind of change the whole shape of the book because he would be able to you know jump forward 20 years and find out what happens but with the two second time machine it's he's only able to just sort of chip away at things very, very slightly occasionally. And that seemed like a good metaphor in a way for, you know, having amazing gifts, but not necessarily being able to do a lot with them when you're a a little kid. And, um, you know, I guess it was after I came up with that, that I think Futurama's final episode had something a little bit similar. And I was, I was really upset, but no, so far nobody's accused me of ripping off Futurama, which is great. Well, for what it's worth, I don't really watch Futurama, so I had no idea. Yeah, I'm going to go and look it up. You know, I forget what it is on Futurama, but it's something a little bit similar. Well, I loved it. I thought this this two-second time machine was fantastic. So it's kind of amazing to have this great cover blurb from Michael Chabon. How did that feel? That was insane. I actually just kind of freaked out for like a few days after I saw that, especially, you know, I thought when when we were trying to get a blurb from him, I thought that that was like the longest of long shots. And, you know, and then I was like, well, if he just, 
gives a blurb like, I read this book and it exists, you know, <laughs> right. or I can verify that this book has words in it. Um, that would be at least something because we could say that, you know, Michael Chabon kind of in some vague way had endorsed the book. But then he came back with this kind of crazy blurb that I was like, what the heck is this? And, um, you know, I actually sort of thought for a few weeks that, um, you know, someone had actually spoofed his email or had like hacked into his email or something and had created like, you know, this fake blurb in order to prank us or prank me. And, you know, I was convinced that we were going to use that blurb and then later find out that the real Michael Shaban had no idea that this book even existed and was furious with us. And uh, I actually ran into him. I, I've I only met him like a handful of times, but I he was at the the Game of Thrones launch party uh, in San Francisco, um, and so I ran into him there, and I, you know, I was like, you know, really worried that he would have no idea what I was talking about, and he was like, no, 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 I, you know, I stayed up late, I stayed up all night reading it, and then my cousin came to visit the next day, and I gave it to my cousin and was like, you have to read this, and like he was just seriously like, it was really nice, and I was like, holy crap. Uh, so that was that was really insane, and uh, I still like I think that's one of the coolest things that's ever happened to me. Like I was that's kind of how I felt was like you know no matter what else what else happens with this book, even if it's just like you know all disaster from here on out, just the fact that someone who's writing I've admired so much had that kind of response to this book, just I felt like that kind of made everything worthwhile in a in a way. Are you a big fan of uh, Cavalier and Clay? I love that book. And it was one of those things where, you know, I, I was late coming to Cavalier and Clay and I really, I started to worry because, you know, sometimes when you hear that much about uh, how great a book is, you kind of assume that it's not going to really live up to the hype and that it's going to actually be just like, you know, you're going to actually read it and it's going to be like, oh yeah, that was, that was fun or, you know, whatever. But um, I read it and I was like, it actually exceeded my expectations and I thought it was, and especially like as a book that's about comics and that's about um, superhero comics in particular, I thought it had like a really like awesome, interesting um, take on, on, you know, not only the origins of superhero comics, but like why superhero comics work. And it has, there's some insights in that book that I think about a lot. Uh, in terms of like the nature of heroic kind of escapist narratives. You've published dozens and dozens of short stories, other forms of short fiction, but this is your second published novel. When you started writing this, did you know it was going to be a full-length novel and that you were ready to write it? Yeah, I mean, I think I did. I mean, I think I had a pretty good idea that it was going to be a novel from the beginning just because, you know, the whole idea of a witch and a mad scientist automatically seemed like there was going to be a lot of directions to take that in. And it's a lot of times I will kind of start out with an idea and not be sure whether it's going to be a novel or a short story. And, you know, in particular, there was a long stretch uh, in the late 2000s when I kept coming up with what I thought were novel ideas. And then I would start writing them and I'd be like, oh, okay, actually, I think I could end this in about 10 pages. And then that's probably where the idea deserves to go. Um, and actually, the novel I'm working on right now, the one that's uh, going to be my second book from Tor, I was looking back at, you know, the first notes I made for it, you know, back in sometime in early 2014. And I noticed that the first file I had 
started writing bits of it in was called Another Dumb Idea for a Short Story. So mm-hmm. I guess that that was something I thought was going to be a short story. But um, but this one, I think it was always going to be a novel because I had this, you know, originally I had this idea that it was going to be sort of like a horrible Douglas Adams pastiche with just like everything being very silly and lots of like silly ideas on every page. And that would seem like something that I could really have fun with at, at, at novel length. And then, you know, the soon, as soon as I started to kind of try to get more into the emotions and, and the, the real experiences of these characters, um, I was like, you know, that's actually... I had to kind of push some of the silliness aside, I think, and, and kind of get into that. But I think I always thought of it as a novel, but it can be hard to tell sometimes. It can often be really hard to tell. Would you say that All the Birds in the Sky was a more ambitious story than any you'd written before? Yeah, I think it was more ambitious, definitely, than than pretty much any of the other novels I'd written, and definitely more ambitious than any of my short fiction. Not just ambitious because of the whole sort of mixing science fiction and fantasy thing, which, you know, the main challenge in that, I think, was just the world building and making the worlds that both Patricia and Lawrence belong to feel you know, fleshed out and real and and um, grounded enough that you could sort of believe that these two different worlds could coexist in the same universe. Um, but, the, I mean, it was more that it was ambitious in the sense of, like, having that structure where they're little kids and, you know, they meet in middle school and then we jump ahead and, they, and they're grown-ups. That was actually kind of an ambitious format because it, it involves a lot of, uh, you know, moving parts and a lot of different stuff and um you know i I, there were a lot of times when i sort of thought i i'm not gonna be able to pull this off this is just too crazy a a a structure too crazy an idea but then i sort of felt like you know the more i could get you know one part of the book working the, the more it actually helped the other parts of the book so actually having the kind of middle school you know kid stuff the the sharper that became the more i felt like i had momentum going into the adult part and so it did, ended up actually kind of being helpful rather than a problem but it was it was definitely something where i was like oh god this is a terrible idea um or this is you know way too ambitious which of your stories before this has been the hardest for you to write do you think I mean, a lot of them have been hard in different ways. I think, I mean, the one that won the Hugo, um, Six Months, Three Days, right. was, I remember that being really tough because I had this, you know, this cool, again, kind of a cool idea of like, oh, these two people who see the future in different ways. But, you know, turning it from like a thought experiment or a puzzle or like a, you know, a logic experiment or whatever, turning it from that into a story about people uh, where, you know, it's really got a personal dimension to it. And then the, you know, the kind of logic puzzle stuff comes out of what the characters are going through. That was actually quite, you know, hard and, and really like I felt asked, required me to kind of stretch in ways that I hadn't ever done before at that point. And, uh, you know, the time travel club where it was hard in the sense that I came up with, again, a cool idea. It was like, you know, what if time travel always involved traveling through space as well as time because of, like, all of the different displacements that happen when you you leave one time before, behind. Right. And um, that involved doing a lot of math and a lot of trigonometry. And, right. you know, I 
my physics advisor actually gave me this super detailed rundown of how things would work. And then I started writing the story with that in mind. And then he came back a week later and I was like, no, 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 I was wrong. I forgot to account for this one factor. And I was like, oh, God, I have to start over again. Uh, but also ha turning that cool idea into a story about people meant that in that case, I had to come up with the people. And I went through a bunch of different ideas about time travel before I hit on the idea of like a club for people who are, you know, kind of make believe time travelers. And then what happens when they actually get real time travel? Right. So what did you grow up reading? Were science fiction and fantasy, you know, always your groove, as it were? I mean, I read I read a lot of different stuff. I think I read, like, all over the map. I remember being a little kid, like, not a little, little kid, but I remember being, like, 10 or 11, I think, and reading uh, Tom Jones by Henry Fielding and that having a big impact on me. And Tom Jones is one of the, you know, one of the best novels ever. It's it's amazing, and it's, it's like a, a total primer in how to write a novel. Uh, but... Um, you know, I, I read all, I read every single Doctor Who novelization when I was very little, I think. I read, you know, Terrence Dick's style had a huge impact on me. Um, I remember reading Madeline L'Engle pretty early, yeah. uh, you know, Wrinkle in Time and things like that. And Lloyd Alexander and, um, um, Daniel Pinkwater had a huge, huge, huge impact on me. And, you know, the Paddington Bear books, just a bunch of different stuff. Oddly, um, a wrinkle in time is something that I kept thinking of while I was reading all the birds in the sky. I feel oh, like there cool. was some like some like you know stuff coming through there. Um, I guess some childhood influence somewhere. I mean, they're oh, both nice. yeah. So there's something that struck a similarity in me, although I couldn't really say what. You know what I mean? It's nothing specific. It was just a feeling. Um, oh, but, cool. But tell me, was the you know say 15, 16 year old you? Were you always going to be a writer? Um, I mean, I think it was either that or I sort of had vague ideas that I was going to be an actor at one point, and that didn't work out. Um, but, um, yeah, no, I think I always kind of wanted to write. And, you know, I wrote a bunch of really weird fiction in high school. Um, I'm not even sure if I have any of it anymore, but I wrote a ton of really strange, including some strange science fiction, in fact, when I was in high school, that I tried to get into the school literary magazine and they just looked at me like what the hell is this um i but, bet they're regretting it now i don't know <laughs> i'm sure that they're fine but uh you know um yeah i think i was always at least that was sort of the vague idea of what i wanted to do and you know and then i sort of went into journalism and um but i always sort of thought that rather than being a, seeing journalism as like my main career I always wanted fiction writing to be like the thing that I actually kind of did I guess so writing about science fiction and fantasy you know say as a, as a critic and then writing science fiction and fantasy as a writer of fiction do the two work well in tandem for you or do things ever get confusing you know, they work together better than I thought they would. I was really worried about that, especially when I started working at io9. I mean, I'd done a lot of criticism and, and writing about science fiction and fantasy before io9, but this was kind of a bigger uh, commitment to yeah. being a critic and being a, a writer about the genre. And I was really struck by, you know, how actually they kind of help each other because you know, I have like this one part of my life where I'm kind of geeking out about all the stories that I love and all the things that I'm excited about and, you know, having fun kind of talking to io9's readers who are some of the smartest people I know, like the commenters, uh, having fun sort of going back and forth with them about stuff actually really like gets me 
you know, it gets the juices flowing in a way. And then I just have to kind of clear my head after doing that and take a long walk and do kind of let go of a lot of stuff. And then I can sit down and write fiction. And it actually kind of, I think it helps. And there are other people who do both. I think that, you know, obviously Jeff Vandermeer has done a lot of criticism and a lot of writing about the genre in addition to being an editor of anthologies with, with Anne Vandermeer and, and has written some incredible novels. And there are a bunch of other people. I think, you know, N.K. Jemison is, is becoming really known as a critic right. now. Um, I think that it's, it's getting more, I think that it's, it's somewhat common. And I think that it, it actually can really work as like the two things can work in tandem. Now, what's all this about a TV deal for six months and three days? Are you involved in any of the writing, the production, anything at all? You know, I, I don't actually know what's going on with that. I think that, you know, I think of Hollywood as this sort of mysterious, like, misty, kind of shroudy place where, you know... Stuff happens. Weird, weird rituals take place, and then sometimes occasionally something emerges from it, and you're like, oh, this thing has suddenly emerged fully formed from, from the mists of Hollywood. Uh, but, you know, I mean, I certainly had some conversations with Eric, um, who was producing it, and, and like a few more brief conversations with Kristen Ritter, uh, who is also one of the producers. And, you know, um, Kristen you know, was super excited about the story and her, her enthusiasm about it was part of what sold me on, on doing it, um, you know, as a TV show. Cause I definitely wasn't sure if that was going to work out. Um, and you know, I, I had some ideas that I definitely wanted them to like think about. And I definitely, you know, was like, I really want the relationship to be first and foremost, no matter what. And, um, you know, um, but once I feel like once you sign the the paperwork and have something optioned by Hollywood, that's where your ability to go around dictating stuff kind of ends. And you know, trying to like have creative control or even creative input into something that's happening hundreds of miles away that's being done by professionals who kind of know what they're doing is a recipe for just driving yourself crazy. It's like it's not a healthy thing. So I feel like, you know, once you agree to let somebody else develop something, you just kind of have to let go. And maybe it'll be great, maybe it won't, but you just, you don't have any control after that point. And the one thing that I said to Eric when I met with him in person in Hollywood was like, you know, I'm not going to, I'm done trying to give you advice about how to make this unless you want to ask me questions. But my one request was, you know, please, please, please give it a diverse cast, please. Because like, I feel like that's something that I really you know, expect and, and want from any TV show nowadays. And right. for there to be something with my name on it that didn't have a diverse cast, I was just going to be, you know, really upset. And he was like, oh, no, no, that's de like, we definitely talked about that. And, you know, he had a lot of thoughts about that. But that was a while ago. And I honestly don't have any idea, you know, um, what's going on. Like, I think that, uh, you know, the wheels sometimes turn very slowly in Hollywood. Right. So now we just wait and see. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We have a question in uh, from Julia via Twitter. Differences and adjustments between writing short fiction versus novels or even nonfiction. Are they just different gears? She asks. They're kind of different gears. I mean, I think that the thing with a short story is that um, you can have a really strong through line. Like you can have like the through line from like beginning to end can be just like, you know, shooting an arrow almost. And you know, some I feel like some people write short stories where 
the kind of plot is 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 sort of only glimpsed in the background or or like there's like there are things that happen but we never actually get like you know a sense of like uh, something being resolved or there's there's no like climax and resolution and i really like short fiction where there is a climax and a resolution my ideal short story is usually one where by the end of it the people in the story have figured out something and have either solved a problem or kind of come to a new understanding of the problem that they were facing and i kind of feel like i like short fiction that has kind of a strong plot arc to it and i feel like actually ironically you can do a stronger plot arc in short fiction than in in a novel uh, and that's one reason why a lot of people say that short stories make better movies than novels it's not just because they're shorter and so you don't have to cut as much when you're making it into a, a movie i think that a short story can have a really strong plot and can you know you can set up at least the idea of the plot in the first few paragraphs and then the last few paragraphs you are coming to some kind of resolution and I think science fiction and fantasy especially do that really well I think that you know inevitably at least for me with a novel there's going to be a lot more digressions and a lot less clear of a through line and you know part of the challenge for me in fact in writing novels has been really finding like for any particular novel like the one lodestone that I keep coming back to the one kind of central idea that keeps coming back over and over again as the novel kind of spins out in different directions and you know the thing with all the birds in the sky was um, it's about Lawrence and Patricia and it's specifically about their relationship so anytime I start you know spinning off in some other direction I have to kind of stop myself and go no 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 this is not what the book's about it's about these two characters and the more time that they're together on the page like talking to each other the better the novel actually is and I found that to be the case like I found that you know when I really looked at it any scene where the two of them are together is a better scene but um, I think that you know finding so it's more challenging to find that central point but part of the fun of a novel is that you can kind of spin in different directions and you can kind of you know take it in a lot of different places and then ideally you still have a thing where there's there's a clear through line and the beginning of the novel and the end of the novel feel like they belong in the same work and there's like you know stuff that kind of gets set up and resolved within the narrative but I think that you know I actually like the fact that a short story can can have a really 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 clear like I like that metaphor of just like shooting an arrow like the whole story can just be like the flight of one plot arrow right. hitting its target. Now we all know Wikipedia is a source of all things solid and true, right? <laughs> and so I have okay. to ask the strangest thing in your Wikipedia entry is what's all this about winning at a TV game show? I have never met anyone who's won anything on a TV game show. God, that was a long time ago. That was a really surreal experience. It was this um, it was this show it was this show where you had to guess like which one was the real person and it was it was really bizarre it was like it was kind of a crazy experience I, I flew down to Burbank and was on this soundstage and you know I think that I mean these things are always a little bit you know shocker these things are always a little bit like you know scripted and managed I think that you know there's a little bit of like things these things never actually um are are as uh um spontaneous as they appear and that was certainly my experience was that it was just sort of this wacky kind of carnival ride but yeah it was it was really interesting to see 
like to be on a in a TV studio from that perspective of just being like one of the kind of contestants in this weird, you know, game show. And you know, yeah, luckily, uh, I actually got some money out of it, um, hmm. which you know. I think that was, and my mom saw it, so that was good. But you yeah, know. it's never a bad thing. <laughs> yeah. All right. So I know you've sold another book to tour. I know you're writing it. I'm assuming it's not something you can talk about just yet. I mean, all I've been telling people so far is that it's basically like it's as different as as from all the birds in the sky as I can possibly make it, and um, it's you know, so it's it's actually not funny. At least the, currently, it's not funny, and um, it's set on another planet in the future. It's it's pretty much pure science fiction. All right, so I'm not going to ask any more about that. Uh, but what's new and exciting nowadays? Anything you've read or watched that's really got you wanting to tell everyone about it? Um, I mean, I just finally read *The Beautiful Bureaucrat* by Helen Phillips, which is, you know, it's. I'm going to actually try to write that review today if I can. It's. Um, it's another one of those sort of literary novels that's very Kafka-esque. I think that there's been like kind of a bit of a Kafka re, uh, um, resurgence in, in fiction the last like 10, 15 years, I think in part thanks to George Saunders. And there's a lot of like Kafka-esque, strange, um, you know, nightmarish uh, fiction out there lately. But The Beautiful Bureaucrat is actually one of the most exciting ones that I've read. It's It's very like dreamlike but specifically nightmare like and it's a really I just finished reading that a couple of days ago and now I'm in the middle of reading Lovecraft Country by uh, Matt Ruff which I've always really loved Matt Ruff's fiction but I think that thus far this this appears to be actually the best thing I've read from him it's it's really exciting Nisi Shaw had had been recommending it to me and it's 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 a really terrific book that you know I think is actually quite timely because it's about racism and and the kind of monstrousness of American racism. And I think it's 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 going to be a book that people are going to be talking about a lot. Um, do you have any new short stories coming out anytime soon? Yeah, I have a bunch of stories and anthologies that are coming out pretty soon. And I'm actually I'm not sure which of them I'm allowed to talk about, but I know that uh, The Starlit Wood has been announced. That's an anthology of retellings of fairy tales that um, is coming out, I think, from Saga, which... Um, you know, I think that's coming out in the fall sometime. And, you know, they asked me to pick a Grimm Brothers or other fairy tale to reimagine as like science fiction or fantasy or steampunk or whatever. And I immediately gravitated to the story about uh, the, the bird, the mouse and the sausage, which is quite possibly the weirdest and bleakest of all the Grimm fairy tales. It's actually a really terrible story. Uh, terrible in the sense that terrible things happen in it, and also kind of a terrible story. Like it's, 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 it's a story where nothing entirely makes sense, and then everybody dies horribly. And so I had so much fun kind of reinventing that as basically a piece of Adventure Time fanfic. Well, that sounds fascinating. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, fingers crossed. I hope you like it. Well, thank you so much for speaking with me today. It has been wonderful. Yay, this was so much fun and have a great afternoon or a great evening. Mm-hmm.